Historians like to break up history into different periods, different ages. Uh, we've had the scientific age and the, and the industrial age. Well, they often refer to the age that we're living in today as the information age, that that's the big thing about the world that we live in. We live at a time where we have the greatest access to information of any time. And it's largely been, not just because of printed material, but also because of things like the internet. That if you want to know something, well, that information is quite literally at your fingertips. If we want to know things, we can find out. And we're the generation that wants to know immediately. We don't want to have to wait until the library opens on Monday. We want to know the answers now. And so we have Google. If you want to know anything, you just type it into Google. You want to know the capital of Iceland? Google it. It's Reykjavik. You want to know who the Prime Minister of New Zealand is? Google it. It's John Kay. You want a recipe for gazpacho? Google it. You can find one on the internet. In fact, it was quite dumbfounding when I put recipe gazpacho in there. Did you see the grey line? There's about 4.6 million web pages that explain that. You want to know what gazpacho is? Well, it's a cold soup that Italians make. It's kind of made mainly from tomatoes, but you might have already known that. Um, we, we want to know information, we want to know it straight away. We want to be able to find out. We are the information age. Now, as I said, we're starting a series this morning looking at uh, d- doctrine, ten major doctrines of the Christian faith. So the very first question that we need to ask is, where do we get information about God? How do we know what we know about God? How does God reveal himself? How has God made himself known? Now, theologians, when it comes to this topic of revelation, they divide it up into two categories. They'll talk about special revelation and general revelation. Special revelation and general revelation. God's general revelation is what everybody can know about God. It's what can be seen about God by every single person. What can be known generally about God, I suppose. Uh, Paul sums it up like this in, a pa- in the passage from Romans that we had read just a moment ago. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying, just look around you. You can't miss God's fingerprints. They're all over this world that we're living in. You can't escape the fact that God is there. It's just obvious. God has made aspects of his character quite plain to everyone, simply from the creation that he has made. You only need to look around the world to see it. You see it in the order of creation. You see it in the enormity of the universe that we live in. You see it in the complexity and the detail of the world that we live in. You see it in tiny, tiny little things that we see in the world around us. That there is this, there is this wonder about the world that we are a part of. You get a sense of God's power and wisdom by just looking around us. 
The psalmist, a couple of hundred years before Paul, said much the same thing. About a thousand years it was, in fact, before Paul wrote. The psalmist said this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. See, everyone knows what the psalmist is talking about, don't we? I mean, you've only got to look up into the night sky, haven't you? To see the moon, to see the stars, to to look out into space and know that it seems to go on forever and ever. You're not going to be thinking to yourself, wow, isn't that a fluke that all of this is here? That's not the first thought that goes through your head, is it? The thought that goes through your head is, this has a purpose. There's someone behind all of this. You get that sense of God's hand in creation. That sense of God's divine power and eternal nature. There's a great verse in Ecclesiastes where the writer's been looking around at the world that he lives in and he's amazed by it and this is what he says. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's a great expression, isn't it? God has put eternity in the hearts of men. We're all in awe of what it is that God has made. But if that were the limit of God's revelation, if that were the full extent of, of how God has revealed himself. If that was all we knew about God, well, we'd still largely be in the dark, wouldn't we? We'd be left guessing exactly what God was like, left guessing about how it is that we relate to God, left guessing about how it is that we'd actually be friends with God. God's revelation, through this general revelation is really enough to give us an awareness of God's existence, a a, a tiny glimpse into some aspects of God's character. But for us to know God, for us to enter into a relationship with God, well, quite frankly, we need more information. We need to know more than we've got. In fact, we need God to act. We need God to reveal himself more clearly. And thankfully, he has. And that's where we come to this category of special revelation. In many cultures and religions throughout history and throughout our world, uh, people have been left guessing at what the gods are like or what the gods want from them. Their god or gods haven't clearly revealed themselves and people are left guessing at how it is that they're to respond. In many cultures and in many religions, people are left trying to interpret the signs. If there are floods or droughts, then we just have to assume that the gods aren't happy with us. If there are rains and they come at the right time and there are good crops, then we assume that God is pleased with us. And when it comes to how you relate to God, what God wants from us, what God expects from us, well, that's guesswork as well. And throughout history, there have been countless examples of those who've tried to relate to God, and some of of them are quite frankly disturbing. 
human sacrifice is something that's been practiced by a whole range of cultures and a whole different range of religions. Uh, the Aztecs did it. This is the model of uh, an Aztec palace and temple that was built in the mid-1400s. When it was built, they sacrificed, they're, they're not sure exactly how many, but it was somewhere between 10 and 80,000 people. Can you imagine that? Somewhere between 10,000 and 80,000 people were sacrificed. It wasn't that the gods had demanded these sacrifices. The Aztecs had simply assumed that that might be something that would please God, that that might be something that God wants. Now, I mention all of that because the God that Christians believe in is a God who has actually made himself known clearly. He's made himself known clearly to us. He's made it clear how it is that we are to relate to him. In fact, he's called us into a relationship with him, to know him. Now, this is an important point in Christian doctrine. It's not like we've managed to guess what God is like. It's not as if we've come up with all of this by our own efforts or by our own wisdom. It's not as though we figured out how to relate to God. It's not as though we have found God. See, the fact is, God has made himself known to us. God has revealed himself to us. He's taken all of the guesswork out of it. That was what we read in Hebrews, that passage a little bit earlier, wasn't it? In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God has revealed himself in words. Our God is a talking God. He doesn't leave us guessing what he's like. He doesn't mime and we have to try and figure out what it is that he's saying. He's spoken to us clearly. We talk about the Bible, that book that you've got sitting right beside you there with the black cover on it. We talk about that being God's word because that's the claim that that book makes for itself. This is what God spoke, what God has to say. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. We believe in a talking God. A God who doesn't leave us guessing what he's like or guessing how we're supposed to respond to him. He's communicated clearly. Now, we can't really stress this point enough. And in terms of Christian doctrine, it's probably one of the most uh, one of the most important things for us to understand. We don't have just some vague ideas about God and we're trying to guess the rest from there. God has clearly made himself known, clearly speaks to us through his word. But did you see what that Hebrews passage says? In the past, God spoke to us through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us 
by his son. This is God's ultimate self-disclosure. God's ultimate self-revelation. God has revealed himself most clearly in his son Jesus. And again, this is where the Bible comes in. What we have in the Bible is a book where God spoke through the prophets, a book that speaks about what God has done, and a book that contains the very words of his son, who is the exact representation of his being. What we have in the Bible is God's word. What God has communicated clearly about himself. It's funny, I think the Bible is, is clearly the greatest resource that we have as Christians and probably also the most neglected resource that we have as Christians, isn't it? I mean, we take it so much for granted. Um, but what is that book that you've got sitting right beside you there? What is the book? Well, let me tell you what it's not. This is not men's thoughts about God. Uh, Back in uh, uh, 1994, the Presbyterian Church made it onto the front pages of the newspaper and onto A Current Affair and a range of other different programs, uh, largely because of this man, a delightful man from Scotland who came out uh, to work at St Andrews College, but a man who didn't believe that the Bible was God's word. In fact, his his passion while he was here was trying to try and convince the Presbyterian Church that the Bible was just man's reflections on God. And he said on one occasion that it's no more authoritative than anything that you or I might write about God. Any thoughts that you had about God, stick them down on a piece of paper and paste them into the back of your Bible because they're just as valuable as anything else that's written in there. That was what Dr. Cameron said. But that's not what the Bible is. The Bible isn't just man's reflections on God. That might sound like an extreme view that he's promoting, but it's a view that's fairly common in churches today. That the Bible's not authoritative. That the Bible's not true. That it's just man's reflections on God. But the Bible makes much bigger claims for itself than that. It claims to be God's word. It claims to have God's authority. It claims to be the place where God has revealed himself. It may have been written by men, and there's no question about that, but that's just the writing process. Uh, This is what Peter says about Revelation. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's the human agent involved here. No one's questioning that for a moment. But the final product is God's word. What God has to say. And we believe that all of it is God's word. We believe that all of it is necessary that all of it is what we need to know about God. Uh, This is what Paul says about the Scriptures. He says, The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
God's clearest revelation was undoubtedly his son Jesus. Unfortunately, we weren't there to meet him. That happened at a point in time. If I'd been there, if I had my camera with me, I could have got a photo. But I wasn't there because he came at a particular point in time. But what I do have is the Bible. The whole Old Testament that is pointing towards the coming of Jesus. Four accounts of the life of Jesus. And then a series of letters that help me ex- that explain to me how it is that I live as someone who has his trust in Jesus. See, in the end, the Bible's all about Jesus, God's clearest self-revelation. And what does God have to say about Jesus? This is my son, listen to him. The overwhelming message of the Bible is that God has revealed himself, spoke through the prophets, has made himself known in Jesus. But he's not just putting this information out there just for the heck of it. God has revealed himself because he expects us to respond. God has spoken through his word and through his son and continues to speak through the scriptures today. That's what that passage from Timothy says. All scripture is God-breathed. And it doesn't say, and was useful or used to be useful. No, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When it comes to what we believe as Christians, when it comes to how we live and act as followers of Jesus, when it comes to the attitudes and the values that we're going to have in this life, that's your authority right there in that book. That's your guide. Now the Bible's, it's not a book of rules. It's a book where God reveals himself. It's a book where we know how it is to live in a relationship with God. It's a book that shows us what God is like. And it's a book that's going to continue to help us to grow in our relationship with God. It needs to be the book that continues to shape our lives. It's the book that can enable us to to know God and to grow in that relationship with God. To grow in our understanding of who he is and what he has done for us in his son Jesus. So does it have that place in your life? Do you value the resource that you've got there? It's extraordinary, isn't it? We can have so many copies of the Bible lying around in our houses. I'd hate to think how many copies we've got at our house. But it's this incredible resource that we we seem to so rarely look into. It ought to play a greater place in our lives. It is the place that God has revealed himself clearly. It is the place where we can understand God's clearest self-revelation in Jesus.